We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Thank you for being here this evening. It's good to see each one of you. Thank you for those who were here last week for our fellowship afterwards. Uh, I'd never seen that much candy in my life. And it all got passed out and spread around to everyone. We hope a lot of children had fun and, and different families. And we got to meet some new people, some visitors. So it was a great time. I know many of you were in different places doing the same. And I just hope you had a good, good time with your family and with your friends. Um, thankful for those who tune in online. We, uh, we don't know where all those people are that listen to us on a weekly basis, but they're around the world. We're grateful for them, and we know that God hears your prayers. And thank you for taking the time to share with Denton Bible Church. If you are a visitor here tonight, we'd love to meet with you and visit with you, tell you anything more about the church if you're interested. We're thankful for those of you who are passing through for a few weeks at a time and you come to be with us. God bless you. And it's just a, a, it's good to see each one of you here. This passage that Joel just read to us is nearing the end of Mark. And our, my plan is to finish the book of Mark as Tommy is finishing it in uh, the, the morning service and then we'll be doing something different than the morning service after that Lord willing but this is uh, brings us this passage tonight it brings us to some of the final hours of Jesus with his disciples one of the things that we are amazed at Jesus knowing what the cross was going to feel like is that not something he knew ahead of time knowing the suffering and pain not only as a physical man but carrying the sins of all mankind being put upon him he is preparing his disciples. I thought about my mom in a small, very simple way, not compared to Christ, but as she was uh, dying of cancer, preparing us. I was a little boy or a young, young, young man, and she was preparing uh, five children and her husband for that day that, she, that God would call her home. And I just thought that was an amazing thing, the focus toward others. And tonight we're going to look at, and I just titled this message, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Joel read to us, it says, Then Judas Iscariot. Much has been written about him. I do want to take time to just to remind you. You can write these down if you like to or listen. I want to remind you of some of the scriptures that describe who this was. Iscariot. Ish, ish is man. Cariot was he was from a place called Carioth. So when you put, uh, put those together, a man of Carioth. A lot of the the names in the New, in the New Testament are like that, or even in the Old Testament, Mary of Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. And so he was Ish of Carioth, Iscariot. Later on, that name Iscariot came to mean traitor because of what the Lord. In uh, John chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus speaking about one of the disciples. Now remember, before we go any further, the disciples, the apostles did not knew, know that Judas was going to betray Jesus. Jesus did. He knew everything, but the apostles did not know. So when he would speak like this, they did not know to whom he was referring. He said in John 66, 70, uh, are there not 12 of you I've chosen, but there's one of you I would begin to think about that if I were them. Wait a minute. One of you is, 
is a devil, what, what in the world would he be talking about? We're, we're living together and, and serving for a thousand days, three years. We're with Jesus all the time and hearing, and yet he says one is a devil. Another verse, Matthew 26, 25. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it's not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You've said it yourself. Out of the mouth of Judas himself, he condemned himself. Luke 22, 22. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. Uh, I talked with a person who was a member of a cult one time years ago, and uh, this person told me, well, Jesus just got arrested and got killed before he got all the work done. You know how unbiblical that is? How uh, theologically heretical that is? The Scripture says Jesus was, was delivered up by the determinate will of God. God had it all planned. And by wicked, the hands of wicked men, they killed him. God had it all planned. Jesus was right on schedule. He didn't get arrested and get killed before he got the work done. And when he said, it is finished from the cross, he meant it. I've done all the work you've asked me to do. I've kept these people you've asked me to keep. He got it done. And here, he's going, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Speaking of Judas, John 13, 26. That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, I think it was Matthew that asked him, Lord, who is it? Lord, is it I? Who is it? He said, the one that I give this bread after I've dipped it in the cup, that'll be the one. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. I want you to turn with me. We're in Mark, but I would like to read a few verses out of Matthew. I'd love for you to read with me. Matthew chapter 27, please. Matthew 27. A few things about this uh, instance and this, this circumstance of betrayal. Matthew 27. Judas Ishkarioth, Iscariot. Determined beforehand. He's called the son of perdition in another place in the scripture. Jesus is going to say many things about him tonight. Look with me in chapter 27, verse 1 of Matthew. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. Judas has already betrayed Jesus, turned him in. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. They bound him, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to it uh, that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury. Since it is the price of blood, they conferred together and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah, also in, in Zechariah the prophet, was fulfilled. And over the price of the, uh, of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they cast them for the potter's field. As the Lord directed me. 
Many places in the Old Testament speaks of this one who was later called the son of death, the son of perdition. He was predetermined, preordained that he would be one close to Jesus. We'll see that in a few moments. He was going to be known by Christ and to know Jesus, but he was on Jesus and have him delivered up to be killed. 30 pieces of silver, that's the price of a slave. That's what you could have bought another human being in that day uh, for. And that's the price of the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah to come. And then that's the price that was Judas was paid to deliver Jesus. You ever thought about that? Um, you ever put a price tag on another human being? That is, that is so wrong. But those that you love, how valuable are they? You want to know how valuable one person is? Jesus said, if you were to ask God for, and you own the whole world, if you were asked to ask for your soul, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? If you owned all the world and you offered it to God to say, this is payment for my soul to go to heaven, God would say, that's not enough. One soul is more valuable than all the earth. 30 pieces of silver, that's nothing that our Lord was bought and sold for. I want to give several different points if I could and ask Nate to put them on the screen so we can remember them. The first one is right here. Evil is often nearer than we think. Judas is going to be with Jesus for three years. They're going to eat together. They're going to listen to him preach the the sermons and the teachings of his life. They, they're going to watch Jesus perform miracles that no man had ever done before. Judas got to see those things from the inside out. And the first one I want you to think about is evil is often nearer than we think. In the book of Jude, right before uh, Revelation, the Bible says there are certain men crept in unaware. They crept in. Now, I grew up in West Texas. Uh, I'm not afraid of a lot of varmints. I'm not afraid of a lot of animals. But you put me in a room with a snake or a scorpion, and somebody's going to have to leave. Someone's going to have to leave. When I, my wife and I were first married, we turned the light off in our bedroom, and we heard this. And I turned the light on, and it quit. I turned it off again, and I heard it sounded just like that. And I thought, what in the world is that? We looked all over everywhere. I looked under the bed, you know. I, I went everywhere. Every time I turned the light off, it would happen again, turn the light on. And finally, we found one of those little gift bags that my wife had had something to put a present in. And it was plastic lined. And inside that was a demon animal, a scorpion. And that scorpion was trying to get out of that bag so it would take its little claws and go... Don't worry about that scorpion. He's not here anymore. I took care of that. I got him out of the bag, and uh, he is no longer. He went to scorpion heaven, if there is one. Scorpions and snakes, I don't like them. <laughs> I don't have anything to do with it. But you know what? Often evil is nearer than we think. Jesus said in the Gospels, let the wheat and the tares grow up together. You mean there could be some of the enemies of the cross in the church? Jesus said there was. Why not? Wouldn't Satan want to infiltrate? Wouldn't he want to get people into the church? So I want you to keep that in mind. Often, uh, I was, I was uh, looking through some 
bricks to make a fireplace, the front of a fireplace one time, and I was a huge box, and there were official stones that looked like it, dry stack, beautiful fireplace. But I was just reaching and getting those. That's a good one. That was a good one. That was a good one. And I went like that, and there was a rattlesnake. Now, I do believe they are from the devil because uh, I got some Bible to back that up in Genesis. <laughs> but I didn't know he was in there. I was this far from him, and I didn't know he was there. Often in our lives, evil is closer than we think it is. Number two goes along right where we're at. Our sins that we call weaknesses today can grow to huge evil tomorrow. You know how a large grass fire starts out uh, sometimes in West Texas a grass fire just rolls and bo boils through the pastures uh, up north or in the forests in different places the grass fire just just hugely accumulates and, and it, is, it is a tremendous force of nature but you know how it starts a little spark just a little spark oftentimes. And so sometimes our sins that we think are very small, that we call weaknesses. Why do we call them weaknesses? We don't come out and just say, uh, you know, I sinned yesterday, and let me tell you about it. We don't really advertise that way. But would you pray for me? I have weaknesses that I deal with. That sounds a little better, doesn't it? If we're not careful, our weaknesses today can grow to huge evil tomorrow. You know what Judas, one of his weaknesses was? He wanted money. So what do we do uh, if somebody wants money? We make them the treasurer of the group. Jesus knew all along what was happening. But those sins that are in our lives today, if we don't let Christ deal with them today, that can become a huge bonfire. Starts with a little spark. Looking at something on the computer, just quickly, barely, you know one of the dangers I hear people say all the time, I got this. It won't get a hold of me. I've got it under control. And when someone says that, they're already caught. They're already caught in that trap. So please remember, our sins we call weakness today can be huge evils like Judas's was betraying Jesus tomorrow. Let's go a little further in the passage. It says, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve... These 12 men were chosen above all other on the world. They were chosen from all the men on the planet to walk with Jesus and to learn from him. Jesus said, they're going to be sitting on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. These apostles were given supernatural power to do miracles like no one had ever done before. These 12, the scripture says in the book of Acts, turned the world upside down chosen vessels of God. These were special 12 men, and yet they were very ordinary. He didn't go to the leading university. In fact, probably Judas Iscariot was the only very educated one. He's the only Ivy League guy of the whole group. The rest of them smelled like fish. God just chose ordinary men to be with the extraordinary Savior. So one of the 12, it says, Judas, one of the 12, went off. And I wrote my notes. Boy, did he. <laughs> he went off to the chief priests in order to betray him. 
They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money, and he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Have you ever thought about why did the chief priests, elders, scribes, why did the Pharisees, why did they need Judas? Well, I think for several reasons. First of all, uh, they needed Judas to identify Jesus for sure. They needed Judas because he had inside information where Jesus was going to be. Now remember, Jesus knows what Judas is going to do ahead of time. He could have said, uh, hey, we're having this, the, the Lord's Supper here tonight, and all 12 of you are going to eat and drink with me. This is the last time I'm going to do that with you till we do it in heaven. Uh, we're about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. Judas, you stay here. But he didn't do that. Judas was one of the 12. He went to the Pharisees, the chief priests, and they were so glad because they needed somebody to identify Jesus. They needed an insider with information. Maybe they needed a scapegoat. Maybe they could say, well, Judas is the one that betrayed him. He's the one that turned him in. Don't we like to blame someone else? Have you studied the early part of Genesis? God comes walking and he said, Adam, where are you? Now, God was not asking for information. A lot of times when he asks questions, he's not asking for information because he already has the answer. Adam, where are you? They have to come out then because they know that he's calling for them. Lord, we were, we're walking in the garden and uh, Lord, we were afraid. First time we hear fear in the world because we were naked, unclothed. First time we hear of anything about that being uh, in a wrong manner and God said who told you that you were to be ashamed who told you those kind of things and what did Adam do at first good grandpa Adam he's all our great 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 how many ever grandpas do you know and what did he do did he stand up and say I did it I just put all the guilt on me the first thing he did was you know that woman you gave me let that just sound like have you got brothers and sisters if you got brothers and sisters, there were five in our family, and we could do that so quickly. He did it. She did it. He did it. Somebody broke the cookie jar in our home. To this day, I still don't know who broke the cookie jar. It got glued back together. One of us did. I know I didn't do it, but we all got blamed for it. Adam says, that woman you gave me, what did the woman say? That snake talking to me in the garden. We're quick to do that and blame someone else. And here, they probably needed somebody to blame. Um, that word betray. When's the last time you thought about that? A betrayal is a hurt that's different. If you have somebody you don't like, they don't like you, or maybe mistreat you somehow, you kind of expect that. And you're not surprised if they say something, put something on social media that's not flattering. You're not surprised because you just don't get along with them anyway. But does it hurt you when somebody that you really love and you thought loved you does something to you? It does, doesn't it? It's a different kind of hurt. And the word betrayal, it means treachery. We would, we would add the word treason. It's somebody that's supposed to be one of us. It's your friend, David wrote in the, in, in, uh, the Old Testament. Uh, it wasn't an enemy that sinned against me. I could have stood it then, but it was my friend. It was my equal. It was my guide. We, we took sweet counsel together. We went to the sanctuary of God together. We went to church and youth group together. That's the one that's hurt me. 
I call them church hurts. And I tell you what, a church hurts like no other church because it's supposed to be the people that love you most. And sometimes they betray and they hurt. Now, they can be forgiven. They can say, I'm sorry. That's a wonderful thing. Be ready to forgive. But betrayal is a hurt that comes from somebody that shouldn't do it. Um, it's a violation of your trust and confidence. It hurts different in a different way. Jesus said about the scripture, uh, talking about Jesus, uh, I was wounded in the house of my friends. If you've ever really had a good friend that uh, backstabbed you, it hurts. Jesus said, a man's foes will be they of his own household. Betrayal. Um, money. Judas sold out. How many of you heard all your life, everyone has a prize? Everyone has a prize. I'm so thankful our Lord and Savior Jesus didn't have a prize. He couldn't be bought. There's nothing Satan could have offered him. And he offered him all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus says, no deal. He couldn't. Verse 12, on the first day of unleavened bread. Often in the scripture, that could actually mean the very first day or it could mean all the, uh, the days, the eight days of the ceremony of unleavened bread when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed what time was the sacrifice they didn't have uh, uh, daylight savings time are y'all messed up today I got more sleep than I've gotten in a long time last night and I'm more tired than I've ever been I think something's all out of whack how many of you have dogs some of you tell me how many of you have dogs that are hungry right now they don't know why you're home not home feeding them they don't know that the clock got turned back forward or whatever we did. The, the sacrificial lamb was killed in the evening. Killed in the evening. I just can't, I'm just amazed that everything that Jesus went through, these Jews would have been very, very familiar with the Passover. They ate the right foods. They did it in the right order, on the right day, at the right time. They passed it on to their children. They ate it with bitter herbs because it reminded them they were suffering. They ate it with unleavened bread, no yeast, because it was a reminder that they went out of Egypt in haste, in a hurry. Don't let the bread rise. You don't have time for that. They did all of these things. And what that is pointing toward is Jesus. Everything of that Passover week and that they do every year. Everything's pointing toward the Messiah. And Jesus is right in front of them now. And they're blind. They can't see him. I'm just amazed. The one they'd been waiting on, the consolation of Israel, the one to take uh, David's uh, throne, the Messiah that had been promised that every, every young Jewish woman wanted to be the Messiah's mom. Everyone, everything of their Bible that they was pointing toward, he's here now, and they're blind to him. Had to be a lamb without blemish. Couldn't have any kind of scars, couldn't have any kind of broken bones or or uh, skin things that were not just right. It had to be the perfect lamb, as perfect as they could get, pointing toward Jesus, the only perfect one that ever lived. 
There had to be bloodshed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. All the blood of those bulls and goats and animals of the Old Testament could not save one soul. They were all a picture pointing toward. There's going to be some perfect blood one day. There'll be someone with perfect blood that God could say, I'll accept that one. And it's, it's Jesus. He's right there with him, and they can't see him. The third thing I want you to think about is we can be blind to the will of God and our own failures. This is why we need accountability. We can be blind to truly what God's will is and our own weaknesses. Tommy says often you need to get downwind of yourself. You need to be able to smell yourself. You need to be able to really see what's going on. And we all can have blind spots. How many of you, raise your hand, have you ever had a blind spot that you just didn't realize? And maybe God, somebody that loved you came to you in Christ's love and said, hey, can I sit down and talk with you a little bit? I'm so glad they did for me. We can all have blind spots. And that's the third thing I want you to, to think about. We can be blind to the will of God. We can think we're doing God's will, but we can be blind to it. And we can be blind to our own failures. That's why we need each other. We need brothers and sisters in Christ. My four siblings, uh, Elijah and, and beautiful wife back here, could I ask you a question? How many siblings do you have among both of you? Combined? How many children are in your family and your family? Fifteen. Is there a little room for accountability there? If you've got that many siblings, there's somebody going to come up and show you or tell you what you're doing. I loved meeting all your, your family at the time that I got to do their wedding. We need accountability. We need somebody that loves us enough to tell us the truth. You men, do you have men in your life? If you don't, do something drastic tonight and ask someone to be that. Because if you don't have another Barnabas in your life that can come up to you and say, hey, brother, I got to talk to you, you may not realize what you're doing, how you're treating your wife or your girlfriend or your coworker. You may not realize... When you think that you're speaking and you're speaking uh, with authority, you're just speaking with condescending anger. We need men in our lives that will pour into us and uh, let us eye to eye have a conversation. You ladies, do you have ladies in your life that will come to you and you can go to them and you can, you can talk honestly and openly. I'm struggling with this and I need help or, or do you know, this helped me. Could I talk to you about what you're going through because I've gone through it before. Do you have those ladies in your life? There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. I love John Wayne movies, but John Wayne was not a good example of being a Christian. I don't need anybody else and I'm not gonna, no, 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 we need each other. And sometimes we can be blind to the will of God, what he wants. And oftentimes it has to do with our own weaknesses and where we're at. I'm sad Israel was blind about Jesus. I'm glad Israel was blind about Jesus. Well, how can I say that? I'm sad that they didn't recognize who he was yet, but I'm sure glad you and I got to come into the kingdom of God and it's because they were blind that you and I get to come in. 
His disciples said to him further in the scripture, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? They know Jesus is a good Jew, and so he is going to have a Passover meal with them. That's interesting, uh, not in the scripture, but a lot of commentators think that the upper room, I've been in the place in Israel and got to speak there actually, where they say the traditional upper room was, I'm not sure it is. No one is. A lot of people think that, you know whose house it might have been in? John Mark. John Mark. A lot of people, commentators even believe, some of them believe that he was the rich young ruler. That he was wealthy and he's the one that asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Very possibly he was. He was Barnabas's, they were related, you remember? John Mark helped uh, Paul and Barnabas for a while. Then John Mark ran home and Paul said, he's not going with me. Barnabas said, I'll take him. He encourages him, and then they get back together, and Paul, as an old man, says, Oh, send John Mark to me. He's profitable in the ministry. A lot of people believe that was John Mark's house that they ate uh, the Lord's Supper in the upper room. Uh, There's a young man that flees in the gospel, you remember, and he had a linen garment on, and it falls away, and he runs away. A lot of people believe that that was John Mark. Very possibly. We can ask him when we get to heaven if it was. Verse 13, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him. Do you know what's significant about that? That would have been unusual because who would have been carrying the pitchers of water? You tough women. That's who would have been carrying the water. It was not common for a Jewish man to carry a pitcher of water. But in this case, Jesus said, you're gonna see a man carrying a pitcher. You go up to him Um, it's just like Jesus choosing a donkey to ride into Jerusalem on the at the triumphal entry why didn't he choose a white stallion wouldn't he have been cool riding on a white stallion in there and it would be prancing like the the king coming in Uh, it's gonna gonna happen in Revelation this way but not this time he chose a little donkey so he says go find this man uh and when you find him, uh, by the way, uh, d- who, who made uh, w- the way and the, and the preparations for the Lord's Supper? Jesus did. Jesus prepared everything his apostles needed. You know what? He's still doing that today for you and me. He's got us. You work with people and they say, we need this and this, and they say... I got you. Don't worry about it. I got you. I work with some people like that. I'm very grateful because when they say, I'll take care of that, I know they will. Jesus says, you go find, there'll be a large upper room. He'll show you and a large upper room furnished and ready, prepare for us there. The disciples went out, came to the city, found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. They found it just as he had told them. One of these days, all these scoffers and all these atheists and all the college professors right now that are laughing and marching with their, uh, uh, their, their agenda against Christ and all those that met down there at UNT the other day and that cursed our Savior, you know about that, don't you? That cursed them. Don't be surprised by the enemy. He's been doing that from the very beginning. There'll be a day, I pray some of them get saved and come back and start not cursing Christ, but praising him. There will be a day when they're going to find out it's just like Jesus said. That old Bible, 
had a friend of mine write ABC, I told you, years ago, because uh, he, he just saw the, the primetime television getting worse and worse. I've done that also myself. I got a very respectful answer back from the person I talked to. He didn't. He wrote ABC and said, I, I, you know, I just can't believe that you would uh, allow the thing that you're allowing for our family to sit together and see on television. It's never been like this before. Why would you do that? An ABC official wrote back to him, I can't believe that you would pay attention to an antiquated 2,000-year-old writing called the Bible. That's the world that we live in today. But one day, just as I read to you, they found it just as Jesus said. One day, all these scoffers and these that are speaking against Christ today are going to find out it's just like God said. It's going to happen. Is everybody bowing the knee to Jesus today? Nope. One day they will. Is everybody confessing that he is the Lord? Nope. One day they will. Every knee confess. That brings me to the fourth thing. Jesus prepares the way for our life to be I probably misspelled that. So, uh, Sounds cliche, doesn't it? But Jesus paid it all. You remember that old hymn? Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Jesus paid it all. He prepares the way for our lives to be pleasing to him. Those of you who have walked with Christ for a long time, I'll guarantee you he's already shown you some things he did in your life a long time ago that prepared you for today. Uh, there's Hannah over there, and she can play the drums so well, and the young man that did here tonight did too. But Hannah, when you first started learning to play the drums, did you think, I'm going to be playing in church someday? She's saying, no, I didn't. But God was preparing you for something later in your life to be used by him. I bet all of us here tonight could say that. Jesus prepares us to be used by him. So he made the way. He prepared everything, and he paid for it all. I had a friend one time, we were in another, uh, I think we were in Canada, about to go, eating at a restaurant and about to go across to the, uh, um, the airport to fly back. And I was waiting for all the rest of our group and I would try to go last to make sure everybody got on the flight, you know, so that somebody didn't get left in another country. That would not be good if we left somebody. And this man got up and, you know, he just said, hey, Mike, I want to tell you, Yours and Holly's dinner is already taken care of. All you have to do is get up and walk out. And I said, well, thank you. That is very nice of you. You didn't have to do that. He had not paid for our meal. He thought that was funny that we were going to get up and walk out and they were going to catch us for not paying for our meal. He had not paid at all. And to this day, he still thinks that funny. Uh, I don't think my wife thought it was as funny as he did for some reason but Jesus doesn't say I'm going to pay for it and not get it done he took every way and every way he could to prepare verse 17 when it was evening he came with the twelve and they were reclining at the table I always want to say sorry Leonardo you know that painting that he painted how they're sitting all lined up behind that nice table that's not the way it was in the Old Testament, way back, Jews stood to eat. They stood to eat. 
But during Jesus' day, it was very common. The Jewish people reclined, leaning on one shoulder, one elbow, and they ate. So it's not like a Leonardo's painting. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you. Now those apostles had probably heard that for three years. Truly, truly I say to you, I am the great good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the bread sent down from heaven. Truly, truly I say to you. They had heard that phrase probably many times, but they hadn't heard what he said next. Truly, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Betray in the Greek is parodidomi, parodidomi. And it's what I described a while ago. It's, uh, it's someone reaching around you to hug you, but they're finding a soft spot to put the knife. It's an act of betrayal often. How did Jesus, Judas betray Jesus? With a what? A kiss. A betrayal is falseness. It's not true. It's a hurt that's like no other. And he said, one of you is going to betray me. One who is eating with me. That narrowed it down because there's only those people in, in the, the upper room. I want to make another point. This was not a mutiny. You might have watched Mutiny on the Bounty and Captain, uh, whatever he was, uh, Cook? Was it Cook or who was he on that? Captain Bly? Bly. This was not a concerted uh, a discussion that a whole bunch of the apostles had agreed together. Jesus isn't who we thought he was, and we're just going to rise up against him. This was one. He acted apart from the rest of the apostles. He was not alone because we know who filled his heart that night. Do you remember what the scripture says? Satan filled his heart. But the rest of the apostles were, this is not a conspiracy that they were in on. Jesus said, I tell you, one of you will betray me and one who is eating with me. And they began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, surely not I. And that's, that's where I, I, I get that, that title. Lord, is it I? Picture yourself being Peter, James, or John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Judas, the other one. Picture, picture you being one of them and saying, Lord, is it I? Maybe, maybe I'm blind. Maybe it's, he's talking about me and I don't know it. Lord, is it I? A long time ago there was a song, I can't remember all the words, but it said, Lord, is it I? Uh, would one of us be ashamed to mention your sweet name? Lord, is it I? Is it I? Put yourself in that room that night. One of you is going to betray me. They probably looked around at each other. What's he talking about? Is there something I don't know that's happened? And they all began to ask Jesus, Lord, is it I? You know, I think that that's one of the things that we need to do often also. There's another key I'd love for you to think about. It is wise to ask often, is it I? It is wise to look inside our own heart often. Uh, the, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. 
before I come up here on Sunday nights. And by the way, didn't Logan do a great job these last five weeks? He's doing a wedding right now, so he can't be sitting over here, but he did a great job. I'm very thankful for Logan and that experience to come and to preach. He did, did awesome. But before I come up here always, I say, Lord, would you empty me of me and would you fill me with you before I handle this precious word of God? We need often to ask, Lord, is it I? How are things going in my life and my family? And Oh, it's good to do that. It's good to lay down at night having prayed that prayer. Jesus, you got anything to tell me? He'll be ready to tell you good things. And then he says these serious words, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Let me read to you John 17, 12. You remember the high priestly prayer? Listen to these words. While I was with them, this is Jesus praying to the Father. While I was with them, I was keeping them, the apostles, in your name which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. We didn't lose anybody, God, except the one who was already lost, Judas the one that was going to betray. All the Old Testament is pointing toward the next words that I'm going to read to you. It's like a hinge. While they were eating, he, Jesus, took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. He had taught them in his doctrine Moses gave you bread from heaven. Actually, Moses didn't give it to you. God did. But I tell you, I'm the true bread that comes down from heaven. And if you eat of this bread, you'll never die. He took that bread and he blessed it and he gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. The cup and the bread. It's a picture of Jesus' body and his blood that he would shed and sacrifice for you and me. Every time we take communion, we look back at the cross and we look forward to him coming. This do as often as you do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. We look back at Calvary and we look ahead to Jesus' second return, second coming. But I tell you, this bread is my body. He's telling his disciples, I'm about to die for you, boys. I'm going to give my life, and not just for you, but all the people that have ever lived. And Isaiah's prophecy of 500 years before, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I believe when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Your sin... I should have said this way first. My sin and your sin was poured on Jesus at that moment. And the Father, for a moment, had to turn away because his son Jesus became sin. 1 Corinthians tells us, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We knew no righteousness there's some way to make us righteous. He knew no sin. He became sin and took it on him. When you've had somebody in your family sick, 
How many of you have prayed, Lord, give that disease to me? Give that to me and let them live. Well, Jesus is the only one that could have done that for all of mankind, for everyone that had ever lived. It's interesting that Jesus uh, said that this is the, my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. He studied the drink offerings of the Old Testament. There were sin offerings, heave offerings. There were all different kinds of offerings God commanded them to do, different sacrifices. But a drink offering was a looking forward to rest and peace and giving God honor. A drink offering they would actually take and pour on the sacrifice. It would make it at its, as that meat is cooking. It would smell so good. I've been in some of y'all's homes, and you're good cooks. And you can just walk in, and you smell that food cooking. I'm thinking, this is great. I'm in the right ministry, I can tell you. Well, that's what God felt. Those sacrifices are a sweet-smelling aroma to him. They came up before him. And they would have a drink offering as a symbol of thankfulness for what God had done. And Jesus said, I'm being poured out. Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. It acknowledges that God's the one who gave them the, the, the promised land. It's later a picture of Jesus that he gave everything for us. And I think the, the, the sixth thing I want you to think about, our lives should be like a drink offering poured out and sacrificed to Jesus. I just got through preaching a few weeks ago about the woman who broke the alabaster box of ointment and she was broken and spilled out. You and I need to be broken and spilled out. Broken and spilled out. History books tell us that the Apostle John, as he got to be an old man, if you ever hear someone saying, oh, uh, John, all the rest of the apostles died of cruel death, and John escaped, he didn't escape a cruel punishment. He was boiled in oil. He just lived through it. God didn't let him die. And then later on died as an old man. But the history books tell us, Polycarp was one of his disciples that came after him. They would say, John, would you preach for us? And they would pick old man John up and they would put him on a seat and he would preach, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He would preach John 3.16. And as he got older and older, John, would you preach for us? And he got older and he'd say, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. And that's all he could do. And he got older and older. John, would you preach for us? And they'd set him up again. For God so loved the world that he gave. And finally, the history books tell us at the end of John's life. John, would you preach for us just one more, more time? And they set him up. And everybody's listening for aged John to preach. And all he said was, love. Isn't that just like John? We need to be a drink offering poured out used up in complete abandon Lord use me until the very last breath I've had the privilege of being with hundreds of people when they took their last breath I want to tell you it's not pleasant to be with unbelievers at that time and I'm praying for them to the last breath that they breathe but it's one of the most beautiful things to be with a saint when they're going home 
I've watched beautiful things happen in those last few moments because Jesus is right there with them. And many of them that have served and loved the Lord, they served him to the end. They were, they were poured out, used up for Jesus' sake. That's what he's saying to his disciples. Now the last verse there, or last couple, verse 25. Truly I say to you, I'll never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. We call this the Last Supper, but is it really? It's really better to call it the Lord's Supper because it's the Last Supper Jesus ate with his disciples here on earth, but it's not the last one. Jesus told them there's going to be one called through the Apostle John called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And I want to tell you what, I've already got an invitation. Have you? I've already got an invitation to that one, and I can't wait to get there. I had in the church I pastored before a 65-year-old man. You know, for a lot of years, I thought 65 was really old. Young people, I want to tell you something happens to you after a little while, and, and those ages aren't that old anymore. I used to think, man, when I, by the time I turn 35, I'm going to have some answers in this. I'm going to be having a life that is... And then 45, and I thought nobody lived past that. And then, but a 65-year-old man came and trusted Christ one day in our church. Mr. Jones, he was beautiful. He was, he was just an honest, open man, and he lived to be 85. And before he died, I was preaching one Sunday morning, and he stood up, and I said, Mr. Jones, you got something to say? And he said, could I? Sure, and he shuffled forward. It took him to hear what Mr. Jones said. And with tears in his eyes, this 20-year-old Christian, been a Christian 20 years, begged everybody in the church that day, make sure your heart's right with Jesus. We're about to celebrate Thanksgiving, he said. It's a wonderful time to be with your family. And he said, I'm not going to celebrate Thanksgiving with you guys. I've got an invitation to celebrate it at the, the banquet with Jesus. And I'll be there by then. And he was. He had the whole, I'll be sitting at the feet of Jesus for Thanksgiving this year. And I'll never forget that. And he was, Mr. Jones. Jesus is saying, there's going to be another day. I'll drink it with you new in the kingdom of God. The, the Lord's Supper, it's, it's actually the Eucharist. That's the word that was used for it. We sometimes call it communion. We call it uh, different things. But it's a celebration of what Jesus did, of a present event, looking forward to a future event that's much better. And then verse 26. Joel, did you know what they did? You read to us a while ago before they left. The last thing they did in the upper room they sang a hymn. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So I want to review with you. Uh, number seven, by the way, was there's going to be a great supper in heaven. There's a lot of songs been written about that. Supper time. There's going to be a time when we're called in from the backyard playing and we hear that, that voice saying it's supper time. Come on in. I want to review those seven things if I could. Number one, evil is often nearer than you think. You don't hear uh, some of the snakes before they're close to you. Get ready. Be careful. 
our sins that we call witness, uh, weaknesses today can, can uh, grow to huge evil tomorrow. Let the Lord deal with them quickly today so they won't grow like they did in Judas's life. We can be blind to the will of God in our own weaknesses and our own failures. Let others hold us accountable. Pray. Uh, number four, Jesus prepares the way for our lives to be pleading to him. He paid it all. Always has and always will. Uh, number four. Then number five, it's wise to ask often, is it I? Is it I? Lord, is there something keeping our small group from being as blessed as it could? Is there something from keeping the Sunday evening service, the morning service? Is there something keeping it from being as blessed as much as it could? Lord, is it I? Oh, it's refreshing to do that, to let the Lord make sure he cleanses us. Number six, our lives are to be a drink offering poured out and used up for Jesus. And number seven, there's going to be a great, great supper in heaven. And if you know Jesus, you've already got the invitation. I want to close with something I read a long, long time ago, and then we'll pray. Uh, Judas's motive probably was to betray Jesus, was part of it because of money. He wanted money, but we see that he threw that money down later, so convicted of what he did. It was probably uh, jealousy a little bit, envy. It was probably upset a little bit. I thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah to come in and ride on that white horse and destroy these Romans and kick everybody else out. Probably part of his misunderstanding. But in John chapter 12, we see that really uh, Judas was one of Satan's crew. Satan having entered into his heart the scripture says he went out and betrayed our Lord and Savior Jesus. That's where the real union that he had was. Listen to this poem. And tonight when you hit your knees or you pray on your pillow, would you say, Lord, is it I? Would you let me see myself more clearly? Psalm 51 is a good psalm. Lord, wash me and make me clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Re renew a right spirit within me. That's what David was doing that night. Lord, is it I? Would you fix me first? And then would you let me be that poured out offering unto you? Listen to this poem. Long time ago, so I've been told, two angels once met on streets paved with gold. By the stars in your crown, said the one to the other, I see that on the earth you too were a mother. And by the blue-tinted halo you wear, you too have known sorrow and deepest despair. Ah, yes, she replied. I once had a son, a sweet little lad full of laughter and fun. But tell of your child. Oh, I knew I was blessed from the moment I first held him close to my breast. And my heart almost burst with the joy of that day. Ah, yes, said the other. I felt the same way. The former continued, the first steps he took, so eager and breathless, the sweet startled look, which came over his face, he trusted me so. Ah, yes, said the other, how well do I know? But soon he had grown to a tall, handsome boy, so stalwart and kind, and it, it gave me so much joy to have him just walk down the street by my side. Ah, yes, the other, the, the other mother, I felt the same pride. How often I've shielded and spared him from pain. And when he for others was so cruelly slain. When they crucified him, 
and they spat in his face, how gladly would I have hung there in his place? A moment of silence. Oh, then you are she, the mother of Christ, and she fell on one knee. But the blessed one raised her up, drawing her near, and kissed her from the cheek of a woman, a tear. Tell me the name of the son you love so, that I may share with your grief and your woe. She lifted her eyes, looking straight at the other. He was Judas Iscariot. I am his mother. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Beyond the words that I can even say, thank you for what Jesus has done for us. He was the perfect sacrifice, poured out completely, surrendered his body and his blood, given in our place on the cross of Calvary, betrayed by the wicked one, misunderstood by his own apostles. Oh, Jesus, thank you for loving us so. Thank you that you've paid it all. Thank you that there's not one of us here tonight that you can't save or have not already saved. Thank you that we have the hope of the resurrection and that day we'll sit down like Mr. Jones. We're going to have Thanksgiving with Jesus this year. Maybe there's someone here tonight that's lost a loved one but you know that they knew Jesus. You can have that same confidence. They're going to have Thanksgiving with Jesus this year. Lord, maybe there's someone here tonight who's not really saved. You're the only one that can do that. No preacher can. No, no service can. No choir can. But you can. Would you touch their heart? Would you let them see Jesus on Calvary? Would you let them ask, Is it I? Thank you for this passage, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.